0: You're listening to the British Birth Stories podcast, the place where mothers from around the country share their birth stories. I am your host, Ashley Brennickmeyer, and I'm so glad that you're here. On today's episode, we get to hear from Sophie Barron, who is a fellow expat from America living here in London, and she is also the founder of Mama Made, which is an organic homemade baby food brand. That is allergen-free and frozen fresh, and I highly recommend it. This is a genuine fellow mom rave review (laughs) because it made my life so much easier, and I hope it makes someone else's life easier too. I'll put the link in the show notes in case it does help anybody else. So on today's episode, Sophie talks about the differences that she found between UK and American healthcare, and also how she navigated some of those more difficult differences once she felt pregnant she had a very quick first birth and felt super conflicted after achieving the birth that she had really hoped for and then she tells the story of her loss and miscarriage candidly that preceded her current pregnancy and I really appreciated her opening up about that because I think it will resonate for a lot of women but I would not be surprised if she has given birth now because when we were when we recorded this she was due any day So, without further ado, here is Sophie's story. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Sophie. I'm so excited to hear your journey, and I'm just so excited to chat with you. So, I think, can we jump right in and have you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you live and who you live with?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, So, I live in North London with my husband and three-year-old daughter, Um, And I run a company called Mama Maid. We um, support parents throughout the weaning journey with really, really good quality food.
0: And I also have to attest to that as well. If you don't know her brand, I definitely recommend checking it out. I'll put it in the show notes as well. I've gifted it to other moms and it's it's so helpful with weaning. (laughs) Yeah, so very glad that Mama Maid's around (laughs) in general. So, um Yeah. Like I said, I'll put that in the show notes. And then with your, with your three-year-old, um, let's talk a little bit about that pregnancy journey. Were you trying to fall pregnant? Yeah. I mean, it
1: wasn't like actively trying, but obviously knowing, I guess, how babies are made. Um, I had always been, um, told that it might take a while, um, because I have PCOS. Um, so I was sort of expecting a longer journey than when it actually happened, which was nice. Um, So yeah, I would say it was, it it came as like a shock in the sense that i never thought I'd get pregnant that quickly, but we weren't like actively preventing it.
0: And how, how were you feeling out the get-go? Was it an easy pregnancy (laughs) or how did you find sickness, if any?
1: I think for me, it was just that shock of actually being pregnant. Um, so like I was relatively new um, in London. I was recently married. There was a lot of, like, newness around. Um, and then on top of that, finding out I was pregnant, um, I did find it really overwhelming in terms of, like, sickness. Yeah, I was, I was like, pretty standard sick, I would say. Like, I was, yeah, I was, like, just felt constantly hungover, but it wasn't – I was still functioning. Um, but I would just say my, like, the anxiety from, like, the moment I got pregnant until I gave birth and afterwards was just like extremely elevated. Um, I did not enjoy being pregnant at all. Um, In fact, I really, really hated it. And I always thought I'd really love it. And so that was a little bit of a disappointment. um, Just going through nine months of just really not enjoying anything about how I felt or looked or. Yeah, I just really didn't
0: like it. (laughs) Hmm, I can empathize with that. And then I know as well, you and I share American roots. And so I'm sure coming over and um, falling pregnant in a foreign country might've been a little bit, probably didn't help anxiety <laughs> levels. So can you just tell us a little bit about how you, how you found your, what care avenue did you go down and how did you find learning about a new healthcare system alongside that? Um, yeah,
1: I've, it was really overwhelming. i I had understood that in the UK, midwife-led care was um, the kind of go-to, which I actually really, really liked and was something that I was sort of looking forward to. Um, I'd always been interested in birth and always interested in pregnancy and what it was like. And so even before falling pregnant, I had had some kind of knowledge that I wanted um, sort of going a more natural um, pregnancy or or birth um, environment. So... I definitely was sort of looking forward to having that kind of care. Um, But I didn't know how you sort of went about it. So my sister in law, I kind of just asked her, where did you have your baby? And she kind of explained to me what to do. So I ended up just registering at this hospital in central London, which um, from North London was completely (laughs) inconvenient and not necessary, but I just didn't know any different. So I ended up being at this very very busy teaching hospital in central London, um, you know, my just getting used to this idea of that you were just there for your appointments and it wasn't really anyone looking after you continuously. Um, that you were just there to kind of get things ticked off and then go home. Um, that was definitely a big shock to the system. Um, and wasn't when I thought about what midwife led care was going to look like, that wasn't necessarily what I was expecting.
0: That overlaps a lot with my birth story as well. <laughs> so I definitely empathize again with that. Um, did you choose to stay with that hospital throughout yeah, your pregnancy?
1: I, didn't, I just didn't really know enough to change. And like the only other hospital that I knew that was near to where I lived, um, I had been to like once for some kind of emergency, you know, I don't know, maybe it was like a UTI or something. And it just struck me as this very old, kind of scary <laughs> public hospital. And this one was quite modern it seemed a bit more American as hospitals go so I was like okay this is the right place for me like this is where I'm going to be the safest this is where the baby's going to be the safest so it didn't really occur to me to change um I've I am still kind of American in the sense of like liking that or thinking that that hospital environment was necessary for for birth um so I did stay yeah
0: I guess, could you also talk us through, um, what it means? Cause I've been trying to explain the healthcare system to my husband, who's British in America and like how I kind of have felt, um, hung out to dry a few times. And even though the American system is definitely like newsworthy in the sense that, you know, we don't have the NHS and it's, it's, um, it's stressful in other ways, but could you just talk us through a little bit about what you were missing a little bit? and what it meant to ha- miss, like, the American healthcare system?
1: Yeah, it's really funny, because actually, like, my husband's the same. Like, I'll tell him about the U.S. healthcare system, and he just, like, all he sees is the kind of bloat around it, that kind of, you know, it's just insurance companies collecting money and all that kind of negativity around um, the, the system, and, there, you know, there definitely are lots of issues with the American healthcare system. Um, I actually happen to be the daughter of doctors. Um, my sister's an obstetrician, so I have a lot of faith in doctors and you know when you go to see a doctor in the states um it's something that I mean I know we've discussed before is is like when you go to see a a GP you get a sort of full physical like they look over you as your full body how's everything functioning um so I really did expect that to be the case especially in pregnancy um I remember just being shocked that I was never weighed in pregnancy I was never never asked about sort of anything other than the pregnancy itself other than this kind of like self Self, I don't know, like giving my own history and then just taking my word for it. I think in America, they would have done a much more um, much more in-depth physical. They would have probably taken more blood tests. They would have um, done more scans throughout the pregnancy as well. Um, you know, I think English people see that as the kind of like, that's to protect against litigation or whatever it might be. But um, as the actual person going through that care, you actually do feel quite looked after, which I was really missing. Um, definitely in, in my pregnancy.
0: And and then speaking of scans, kind of a <laughs> normal transition here. <laughs> um, just, I was just curious, did you t- choose to find out um, the gender? Yeah, in- I
1: did. Um, I was so anxious in my pregnancy. Um, and I just felt like if I could control one factor of the unknown, I would feel a lot better. And actually, once I did find out I was having a girl I was really able to settle into the pregnancy a lot easier. And I did find that I was able to bond with the pregnancy in a way that I hadn't been able to. So I'm really glad I found out.
0: And did you find any antenatal classes that worked for you or did you choose to do any classes? So
1: I did class. Um, again, my sister-in-law recommended. Um, it's just like a local woman who does these classes and everyone who goes there lives locally. And I thought it'd be a really nice way to meet other people. Um, but in terms of the actual like content of the class, it was pretty much useless. <laughs> um, I don't, wouldn't say I learned pretty much anything. I um, have always taken an interest in birth. So I was sort of doing my own reading on natural birth and um, doing my own reading on kind of how to prepare yourself. I did get a doula who was really helpful um, before birth in terms of kind of teaching about the physiology of labor and what's actually going on. Um, so I did, I did sort of my own independent study, but I really focused a lot more on kind of this natural birth and how to achieve that. And I, I think I really conflated that with having a positive birth. Um, for me, it was just like, okay, that's the only way to have a positive birth. That's the, that's the way to have, you know, a non-traumatic birth. And, you know, in hindsight, that was really a mistake. I should have, I wish I'd discovered something like hypnobirthing, which is a more kind of holistic view of managing anxieties and managing expectations and feeling more in control um but i didn't i didn't know about those sort of areas or avenues at all
0: and did you were you able to make friends from that other class or was it just kind <laughs> of like a oh, wow. i think
1: we met up a few times after our babies came um as it happens a lot of the women in the course already knew each other going into it so it wasn't yeah, I would say it just sort of flopped. Um, I think we all lasted like maybe four months and then the WhatsApp group just gradually kind of evaporated.
0: (laughs) It's so hit or miss, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Did the entire pregnancy, was it pretty straightforward for you? And did you have any curve balls or, um, was it pretty much just like mm, up until labor for you?
1: Yeah. Thankfully it was really straightforward actually. Um, and I did find some comfort in that, um, you know, that I hadn't been referred really to a doctor at any point that it was all midwives the whole way through. Um, it was thankfully very straightforward. Um, so yeah.
0: Okay. Well then I think we can just jump right in and, um, do you want to, how far along were you when you did go into labor and how did you know when it started and what were you feeling?
1: Um, so just before 39 weeks, so it must've been like 38 and a half weeks, I started to lose some of my mucus plug. Um, and I remember texting my doula about that, and she said, you know, that's a good sign, but it can take a few days. Um, and I was on maternity leave at the time, and I was just, I really was just enjoying it. I was kind of staying in bed and <laughs> taking walks. And then um, at 39 weeks exactly, I started to lose some of my waters. So it wasn't like a huge gush, but I, was definitely like having trickles and um again i called my dealer and was like right i'm gonna go to the hospital now and get checked out and i was really grateful to her because she said you know stay home because as soon as you walk in that door you're going to be on a clock um and at home you know you're not you're the risk of infection is much lower you actually have a better chance of contractions starting um, so just basically take it easy so um that was the morning of 39 weeks exactly. Um, I just went for a walk. I had a few things actually like going on in the house because we had just moved. Um, and then that night, um, contractions started sort of start stop. So I just, yeah, I turned to my husband. I was like, right, we're going, we're going to bed, <laughs> as everyone says to do when you realize you're in labor. Um, so he we went to bed and then about 3 a.m., I would say, I was when I was like, okay, these are actually coming pretty consistently. And it was 39 in a day, I guess. Um, So, yeah, so it was around 3 a.m. that the contractions really started to come more consistently. And I was like, okay, I'm really in labor now. Um, and I did call our doula to come probably, in hindsight, too early. Um, <laughs> but I just wanted her around. I wanted her company i wanted her reassurance um so she came at around 3 a.m and she was very you know very hands-off very much like not here to give an opinion so when i said at 6 30 like i feel like we need to go to the hospital um she was like okay whatever whatever you feel like whatever you're ready for like at that point i think it was that kind of whatever three contractions in 10 minutes or whatever they say you know that's the point to go to the hospital that's when i said okay let's go and I do remember feeling throughout my labor at home that like I needed to get to the hospital. <laughs> like for me, labor at home didn't count until I was at the hospital. So I think there wasn't a degree of kind of impatience, um, definitely on my part, just to to be in the care of the midwives, to know that everything was kind of okay and, and that things were really underway. So um we got to the hospital probably like six thirty, six forty-five. Um and yeah, being checked and just hearing that midwife be like, well, you're not in labor. <laughs> um, you know, you're only two centimeters, you're not in labor. And that was just like the worst feeling ever because, you know, you're contracting regularly. Like, you, it's not, you're not making this up. Um, and I just felt so, I felt not necessarily embarrassed. I just felt really bad for my, my doula and my husband that I'd basically like dragged them to the hospital just thinking, oh, if I just waited like another hour at home. So, we did sort of walk around the hospital. We were kind of walking up and down the stairs. Um, and I just looked at my doula and my husband. I was just like, oh, well, you we both look so tired. Um, let's go home. So, we went home, which was actually co- going from central London to where we live in North London. It was probably a good 30 minutes at that hour on a Saturday. Um, and they both took turns sleeping. And I labored for a long time in our bathtub at home. Um, Then I think I went downstairs into the shower at home. And finally at 12.30, I was just like, we need to go. (laughs) We need to go back again. I was just feeling like very, um, very impatient to get to the hospital and be checked out. Um, So we went, but yeah, going midday on a Saturday I remember our Uber like took us through Highgate Village, which was just like back to back traffic. Um, And it was just like the worst car ride of my life. Um, And we got to the hospital and I was four centimeters or whatever, you know, whatever you have to be for them to admit you. But um, as it happens, there were no rooms. (laughs) There were no rooms in the birth center and there were no rooms in the labor ward. And so I was in this triage area. So I don't know a few but your hospitals were like but you're basically in this area that's not really a private room um it's just like beds where they check you and then admit you so I was there um behind this curtain and that's where I labored for the next six plus hours as they tried to find a room um and to be honest much of my labor in that sense is a little bit of a blur because I just remember this like anxiety of like I just want to be admitted. Like I just want to have a midwife. I just want someone looking after me. I just want to know that like this is where I'm going to be giving birth. Um. So I, my husband now tells me like he and the doula are kind of back and forth, kind of trying to figure out what they could do to find a room for me. Um. But, yeah, they there just wasn't any, I guess September is like a really busy month. And um, I think it just feels a little bit like you're waiting for a table at a restaurant. You're like, surely those people have paid already. Um, but there was just no rooms. Um, eventually someone came with a canister of gas and air. And I think at one point I completely emptied that canister of gas and air. Um, it was just, yeah, I was, was back-to-back labor as well, I haven't mentioned. So yeah. Um, Yeah, the baby was back to back, so much of my labor was just back pain. Um, so I wasn't sitting, I couldn't sit, I couldn't lay down. Um, I was just standing and kind of like leaning over the it was like a windowsill at one point, trying to remember, um, a lot of like swaying, just trying to like relieve the pressure in my back. Um and at one point I had been checked and I was still only about six centimeters. And I just got the urge to push, like and it's something I had like read about um, but I remember thinking like well, it's far too early for me to be having this urge like <laughs> what's going on and um I remember at that point my doula was also trying to find somebody because I you know I'm still in triage at this point. I'm not um, being looked after by any um, by any midwives um, I'm just there's like this one one person who's kind of checking in every now and again, but there's, there's no like midwife assigned to me. I'm basically still just waiting for a room. Um, And yeah, the like urge to push was just like, I, I, I don't know unless you've really experienced, like, I can't explain it. It was like almost like having food poisoning. Like you just can't stop it. (laughs) Like it was just, I couldn't possibly stop it and it kept going on. And it was, I was very conscious how public it was like I was just very conscious that there were like you know pregnant women who had come just to the MFAU to the to the triage to get checked out who were waiting for for like their traces or whatever people waiting for their scans and were just listening to me like really making animalistic noises like things you just I really thought that for me like this natural labor would be I'd be quite calm and I'd be quite um you know, like really hippie and relaxed. And instead I'm just like an animal in labor. I mean, it was, it was a very, um I felt quite embarrassed, I would say. Um, I remember feeling very embarrassed. And um, so yeah, I was pushing like that for a long time. Um, and I remember just like, anytime anyone came to like the area that we were behind the curtain, just saying, please, is there any room anywhere? Like any room. It doesn't need to be the birth center. It doesn't need like I will take any room. Um at one point I was like begging for an epidural and they said we can't even give you that because there's no room to take you in. Um and just feeling so stressed by that whole experience. Just feeling like I just I remember just like crying, just being like, I just want to get to where I'm supposed to be. Like I just want to get to where I want to be. Um and then finally there was a room. It was like, you know, five and a half hours later. Um, They found a room for me in the birth center and I went up um, and at that point still pushing, still having this like bearing down I mean, just that's the only way to describe it was genuinely just bearing down like in a wheelchair in public um, going through the halls of this central London hospital Um, and yeah, going in, finally going into the room where I was going to be giving birth and I remember seeing the midwife was a midwife that I'd had. I guess it's my last two or three appointments and I literally just like melted. I think it just, just goes to show how much that your environment can really affect your birth because as soon as I saw her, as soon as I got into the birth pool, Liba was born. There was like, <laughs> my body literally just like melted open and she was born. And um, so in that sense, my I was very aware that I sort of had achieved the birth I wanted, right? Like, I had this natural birth, and she was born in the water, and it was amazing, but it wasn't really. Um, she was put on my chest, and I was just, like, shell-shocked, This like, what just happened? Um, I remember feeling so, like, cheated by this natural birth movement. You know, I'd read every book. I'd read every positive birth story out there and just felt like, I missed out on this rush of oxytocin that everyone says is like amazing, that everyone says is you can only achieve with a, with a natural birth. Um, because I was just looking down at this like creature on my chest, being like, what have I just experienced? Like, I'm going go from like bearing down in public to like, you know, basically 15 minutes later having a baby in my arms and just not knowing what to do with any of that that had just happened and just feeling like, was that worth it? Was that really worth it? Um, And yeah, really feeling cheated by all these stories of like natural births that everyone had said was like the only way to get a positive birth experience. Um, So yeah, it was sort of, yeah, just having that kind of experience of being in public for so long um, in my labor and then finally just giving birth to her when we were in our own environment, um, it, was, it was almost like too fast. It was just such a shock um, and it really affected, I think my ability to just bond with her because I just seemed like it was, there was something very incongruous between what I had experienced and then having this baby and it was, I was like, why did no one tell me it was like this? Like no one tells you this is what it's like to give birth. Um, and that really affected me for a while.
0: That's so understandable, absolutely. I feel like so many of the birth narratives and stories out there are very formulaic where it says like if this, then that and I I didn't find that in my birth either. So, thank you for sharing that candidly. Um with the with the placenta, were you able given all of that all the emotions that were coming up. Um, did you choose to birth the placenta physiologically, or did you have the ejection?
1: So I actually don't remember at all. Um, I've tried to remember, especially because um, I'm pregnant again and thinking about my preferences for this birth, and I genuinely cannot remember. It's like I don't know where that. It's just <laughs> it's just like a trauma brain. That memory's just gone. I do remember coming out the pool. Um, I'd been in the the birthing pool. I came out the pool, um, they handed the baby to Ian, Um, he was doing skin to skin with her, and I think the placenta came out within 10 minutes, so, and I I do remember one of the midwives pulling, which I think is maybe an indication that I had the injection, Um, but I genuinely cannot remember.
0: And then can you just talk us through those next few hours and even those next few days postpartum, how, how did those feelings stay? How did you find feeding your baby? How did you choose to feed your baby?
1: Yeah. Um, so I, breastfeeding was actually seemed okay between my doula being there right after the birth and even the midwives being there, like she did start nursing right away, um, which did feel like, okay, I can do this. But again, everything was just so fast and furious. We were sort of left to it. Um, because I'd given birth on the birth center, I was able to spend the night in that room. So I had a private room overnight. Um, but what they don't tell you is that you have a private room and no one comes to look at you. Like I don't think we had any... I remember at one point asking my husband to go find a midwife to help me with um, feeding. And she kind of came and like adjusted a position and then walked out. And that was the last person we saw until we were discharged at 10 a.m. the next day. Um, and then we were sent straight home. And that was another thing that for an, as an American was very weird. Like I felt like I had just given birth, like someone do me a favor and just let me just like be in one place. But I was immediately basically sent home. Um, and I, I'm not, I at the time I didn't really feel happy to be home. I didn't feel like I was ready to be home with a baby. It f- seemed very overwhelming. Um, in terms of the actual like nursing, I definitely felt very much like very strongly that I wanted to breastfeed, um, probably to a fault. Um, I wanted to do everything perfectly. And she did, She did it for us, it was relatively smooth, but I just found it for myself. I was just trying to do it way too much and I, I didn't get any kind of break at any point. Um, it just seemed very intense straight away. Um, and I didn't really know what to do with her. And so even though she was nursing really well, again, I felt sort of cheated by all these narratives because just cause she was feeding well, I didn't necessarily feel like I was bonding with her.
0: And did you choose to continue to breastfeed? How did your journey with that narrative, did it shift over time or can you talk us through that as well?
1: So something with my daughter that I found was that I was really good at kind of providing her material, like physical needs. So like breastfeeding I found was fine. Like even figuring out her like sleeping um, was fine, but I really struggled to bond with her in any kind of like emotional way. Um, And so I breastfed until she was about four months. And at that point, I just said, I've had enough of this. Like I've had enough of feeling like I'm not myself in my own skin. I hated um, something I really struggled with throughout the pregnancy was just like how much my body changed, um, how it didn't feel like mine. And that was sort of carrying on through breastfeeding where it felt like, again, I have to have rules around what I can eat and what I can drink. And um, as someone who has sort of like overcome various food um, relationship issues, I really struggled with that as well. Um, and so, yeah, I got to four months, and I just thought I need to get myself back to feeling like myself again. and as soon as I switched to formula, um, our my relationship with Liba just like completely changed. um I found it a lot easier to just enjoy her um rather than com- completely obsessing over every little thing about what she was taking in and what, you know, how she was sleeping as a result and what I was eating. And if that was hurting her tummy or whatever it was, like, it was just finally permission to just enjoy her.
0: I think that's so important. And I think that deserves like a lot of respect and commending um, because I think there's, there is another narrative, which I think is old school and very patriarchy facing, which is like self-sacrifice is the ultimate definition or success metric of motherhood. And I think that that's such a disservice to not only mothers, but also families. So every single time I see and hear a mom like you saying, this is what my needs are. And this is how I'm going to go about setting those boundaries. I just, I just think it's, it's just a game changer. So well done you. I just, I just, again, I'm, I'm so much more for the narrative of like, fed is best and trying to make you thrive however that looks is like you as the mother is so important. <laughs> so, also thank you for sharing that as well. Um I also wanted to ask about the postpartum care as well. How did you find um usually I think there's two midwife visits and then usually a health visitor appointment or two. How did you find those?
1: I sort of loved how quaint the home visits from the midwife were. <laughs> like, um, I remember my mom was here from from America and she was just like, so cute. Like she comes and like she came with these little like weighing things and it felt like there was actually someone looking at, you know, it was, it was there was something quite old school about it that I, I enjoyed. Um, but I wouldn't say I got like the world's best care, I think, I think having had the birth I had, which thankfully was very straightforward in the end and on paper was sort of like perfect. um, There wasn't really much for them to hold on to. And I think I was almost too fresh off the labor to really have processed that I wasn't okay, that I needed sort of additional support in other ways. I didn't really know what to ask of these midwives. I didn't really know kind of what support I needed, what kind of checking out I needed. So, those appointments were just these kind of entertaining um, day in the life of an English person um, events. Um, the health visitor was also like a complete joke. <laughs> I remember she came with like a million pieces of paper. She's like, "What am I going to do with all these pieces of paper? Like, I'm not reading these leaflets. Like, you're not the person I'm going to be asking if I need help." Um, so the health visitor visit was just seemed like you're in my space, and I want you to go. <laughs> um, and but that being said I actually found the health visitors at the baby clinic great and really really helpful it was just that one home visit where she came with a stack of papers that just seemed like a waste of everybody's time
0: I yes I had a similar experience with my health visitor so again I can empathize um from the timeline from basically when you chose to switched to formula and started to maybe feel a little bit more like yourself. Um, how did you know that you were ready to start trying for your next baby? And can you just talk us through that timeline and that journey as well?
1: Yeah, it took it took me a lot longer than those four months. I mean, I, I really struggled, I guess, for that first year um, to kind of find my footing. And then I just wanted to enjoy my daughter. Um, I, um, it seemed like everybody around me was sort of having – babies 18 months apart or 20 months apart or 24 months apart and I remember thinking like how are people ready already (laughs) like how do people know they want another one um you know my husband's there being like why do you care what other people are doing it's not that I care what they're doing but like I'm just amazed that people feel ready again because to me I just felt like this was such an overwhelming experience that I had just gone through and um I wasn't feeling like myself in my own skin until well after one year and I wasn't yeah, the idea of doing it all over again was just so, just seems so foreign. Um, and I did go through a phase of being like, well, she's the only one we're ever going to have because I just think she's amazing now and, and I don't want to do this again. Um, but then she t- something happened right after her second birthday that actually I was like, oh, this is, now I really do want another baby. I want her to have a sibling. Um, so we started trying again shortly after her second birthday And I actually got pregnant relatively quickly that time as well. Um, And that one ended in a miscarriage. Um, And then, yeah, a few months after the miscarriage, got pregnant again. And I'm now due like any day. (laughs) So um, there was definitely a long, for me, it felt at least like a long period of kind of getting myself in a place where I felt like I could be a good mother
0: to more than one child. And I just want to create a little more space for that whole last sentence. (laughs) If you could, I'm just going to, I'm just going to ask a question and feel free to talk as just tell us your whole story as much as you'd like to share. Um, When you did fall pregnant with your, with your first pregnancy after your daughter, um, how, how did that pregnancy feel? How far along were you when you found out you were pregnant? If you could just talk us through that a little bit as well.
1: So I found out I was pregnant um, pretty quickly. I mean, I think I was because I was aware that we were really trying this time and it was something that we really wanted. I I was a little bit of like a let me test as soon as I can kind of person. Um, And that pregnancy, I actually just felt like pure excitement. Like I just was so excited for my daughter to have um, a baby. Like part of me was professionally a little bit worried because the business at that point was still... Kind of at an interesting crossroads but I just felt such confidence that it was the right thing and yeah physically I felt so strong and so much better than I had with um with, Liba, with my daughter Um and I just felt really good like I I remember at one point saying you know to my sister who was someone being like yeah I just it doesn't feel anything like Libra. like I don't feel much of anything but I'd had a few scans I did I did pay to have a few private scans um, and everything seemed fine, and everything seemed good. Um, so I was just like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm one of, I'm one of the lucky ones who gets pregnant and just feels amazing. Um, so I was able to kind of carry that on and, i um, just, just look forward and just felt much more, um, in control of, of that pregnancy. I had registered at, um, a more local hospital, um, that does offer continuity of care with the midwives and, um. It was just a more positive sort of experience and that one yes i started to have some bleeding just before it was probably about the week or so before my 12-week scan um when that was scheduled in and you know the one where you kind of feel like you've cleared that home stretch and um i texted my sister who's an obstetrician and i said i don't know if i should be worried like i don't have any cramping or anything but i am bleeding and she said, there's really no way to know unless you go in and get checked. Um, it could be anything. So I sort of thought like, well, maybe I've overdone it. Like I'd, it was Christmas um, and I had been running around like a crazy person and um, I had been exercising a lot in that pregnancy. And um, I just thought, okay, let me just spend a day with like my feet up, um, which of course <laughs> didn't happen the next day. Um, so... We ended up driving down to Brighton and then I was really bleeding a lot and I started to panic a little bit. And I said to Ian, like, oh, maybe we should, you know, go to a hospital and get this checked out. Um, But the hospital in Brighton, basically, there's nothing they can do. They were like, well, you need to get a scan and we can't offer you a scan until well after Christmas. Um, So we went home that night. It was the day after Christmas and... Um, it was quite late at night and I started, I still was feeling fine. Like I didn't have any, and like, I, I really just had the bleeding. Um, but it started to panic me a little bit. And I just like woke up at like 4am and I said to Ian, like, I'm just going to go now to the Royal Free, which is our nearest, um, emergency room. And he was like, Oh, do you want me to come with you? Like, you know, we can drop leave at my parents. And I was like, it's like literally the middle of the night. Like if I don't go now to get some kind of clarity, like I'm just going to, not function so I took myself to the A&E which now in hindsight I don't know it's just ridiculous I went on my own but I went on my own and I was there for quite a few hours and yeah they basically confirmed what I yeah that I was having a miscarriage um that there was no heartbeat and um I yeah I felt oddly very kind of like matter of fact about it I was just like okay like and now I just want it out. <laughs> um, I want it out so we can start again and we can have a bit. Like, I just wanted to to know where we stood, really. And so there was some peace in knowing. Um, I was obviously, like, extremely upset. But I, don't, I didn't cry or anything, which is a weird thing because I'm very much a crier. Um, but I, maybe because I was on my own. But anyway, I am. Um, yeah, I sort of asked, like, okay, I definitely want a DNC, though, especially because I was you know, quite far along in the first trimester, um, essentially almost at the second trimester, um, I was not really willing to just let it go. Um, but because of Christmas and, yeah, they just said, like, well, we won't be able to get you in for DNC until next week because at this point it was already Friday, I guess. Yeah, it was Friday. So they said, like, they wouldn't be able to get me in for DNC until the following week. Um, And I really was, like, kicking up a storm, Um, which is very unlike me. But I have learned that you need to do that a little bit in the NHS. And I was just like, please, like, somebody needs to get this out of me today. And they didn't. Um, They told me to go home. (laughs) So I went home. um, And I ended up passing it naturally. Or they said, like, go home. Um, If you're feeling more than a pad in an hour, then you can come back. And... So I ended up going home and yeah, it was just nothing like a heavy period, which they told me it would be like, it was, um, it was just, it was horrible. Um, It's just not anything I'd (laughs) fish on anybody. Um, We ended up calling triage again in the evening. And I was like, you know, you said to come if it's more than one pad, like, I was like, that's just like a metric that doesn't even apply to what I'm experiencing right now. Um, I was like, I couldn't even really get up out of the bathroom um, to change a pad. Like, it was just that much was coming out. Um, so I ended up sending an ambulance, actually. And I ended up having a kind of manual, um, unmedicated DNC in the A&E that night. Um, and I think I did appreciate Then HS in a new way at that point, because I saw that, like, actually, if you are having an extreme emergency, they will see you ridiculously quickly. Um, because that whole experience was like from start to finish was maybe like an hour and a half. <laughs> like I did not wait for the ambulance. I did not wait for that emergency DNC. I did not wait for any thing at all in the hospital as soon as I saw the state that I was in. Um, and so, yeah, I found it, the miscarriage itself. Um, I was really just sort of upset about this idea that I, I kind of obsessed again and again that, you know, it taken take me so long to be ready for a pregnancy and then this happened. Like that was kind of the line that I kept saying, like, it's just, I was waiting, you know, I, it took me so long to be ready. And now this happened, like, how am I going to bounce back from this? And physically just the recovery from having lost so much blood was also just more than I ever thought I'd have to um experience. And, um, so it was just a very, very like weird time. Um, there was sadness over the loss, but it was it was more of like, like this trauma of the actual like what I had physically experienced.
0: Mm. I can imagine. What did you find helped to support you during that processing and healing time after having suffered that miscarriage? Because there was a lot on your plate as well, being a working mom of a toddler, having gone through that. If you could just talk us through that a little bit.
1: I yeah I very quickly realized that I would need some support to process it. I think it was more like I realized that I was kind of running out of um time with my nearest and dearest that they were kind of sick of me saying that same sentence over and over again and um <laughs> they were just like um it's enough. So I I did actually go privately to a counselor, um someone who had helped me in the past and um I began seeing her and that was just great to just be able to talk about that in that space and talk about my feelings. And she had been there when I was kind of processing um, to bond with Liba and and how to become a better mother. And so I definitely found, I'm very lucky that I was able to find that support privately.
0: And then what was the timeline between um, your loss and then wanting to try again for your current pregnancy?
1: I was surprised by how quickly I was ready to try again. I really thought that, it, yeah, I just thought it would take longer to, to feel ready. But um, that loss happened over Christmas. And then I found out I was pregnant again in April um, during lockdown as it happens. Um, so it was actually, it felt obviously like a million years, but it was really
0: short. And then how, how was that pregnancy at the get-go? Because there was a lot of collective anxiety and stress going on with COVID. Um, And then also like all the trust regulations were changing in terms of who could come support you. So um, can you just talk us through how you're feeling and then also what your appointments were looking like?
1: So I, the being alone part didn't, I think having experienced a miscarriage on my own, um, I wasn't as bothered by being alone this time in this pregnancy, even though for every appointment I did have to go in alone. Um, I had a couple scans in the first trimester because I had some bleeding again in the first trimester. Um, so there was that panic of kind of going to the early pregnancy unit. and um, I still felt and it's this weird sort of protective feeling that I had over Ian actually, though, like having experienced that miscarriage on my own that I didn't ever want him to witness that again. So, um, I, in a weird way, felt more confident going on my own to all my scans and and to all my appointments, and then being able to kind of feedback <laughs> to him that everything was fine. Um, yeah, I, I mean that's probably something to work through. I don't know why, but um, I did feel oddly protective um, and not wanting him to experience that kind of trauma. But there was a lot of a lot of fear, and um, but I think in a way the timing's been okay because things have been gradually opening up. Um, so even though like my first appointments were over the phone, it was like that booking appointment, which is kind of pointless to go into per- in person anyway. And, and um, the only thing that really has affected this pregnancy is that the trust that I'm with this time, weren't offering routinely glucose tolerance tests um, as part of their COVID restrictions. Um, and so I had a few appointments where I was measuring really big, like four weeks bigger than you should be. And and both times I I sort of asked like, well, can I please get a glucose tolerance test? Like, cause this is a bit worrying. And my sister who's an obstetrician is like, that's kind of the first thing you'd want to do. Um, and I really had to fight with, with the midwife that I had, um, who basically was like refusing me this test. Um, and I ended up switching midwives as a result, because <laughs> I just found that I, I wasn't going to get the care that I felt like I deserved given like the kind of, what they were picking up um at appointments like i wasn't going to put up with that kind of negligence again um so i switched midwives um and i i had a few sort of like run-ins with the hospital um in this pregnancy but nothing like thank god everything's actually been fine in this pregnancy it's just been a bit dramatic i think with the covid and not knowing what i can be referred for and then sometimes being referred for things that seem like irrelevant um so I've actually opted this um this time around to um try a home birth. Um and since switching to the home birth team, it's just been so much calmer and like I feel like I'm finally getting the care that I always thought I should get. <laughs> so I feel a lot calmer now in the last weeks of pregnancy.
0: That's so reassuring to hear. I've also heard with um NHS home births that you usually have one or two dedicated midwives who come to your home to do the appointments is that is that what you found
1: yeah so you get um your appointments are at home and then it sort of seems like a no-brainer if you can at least register for the home birth to do it because basically what i'm i'm learning a lot more this time around am i've been doing a lot more of like this hypnobirthing study and trying to understand how to have a positive birth that doesn't necessarily need to be a natural birth i'm kind of allowing like opening myself up to every possible outcome and um as part of that There is, um, you know, this idea that basically every birth or most births at least start as a home birth. So why not at least try? Um, And so you get two home births when you're in, uh, sorry, two midwives when you're in labor. And then if you do have to transfer for any reason, either because you have to or because you want to, they come with you and then they stay with you. So it's almost like, why would I not register for this? Because it's like private level service on the NHS.
0: Gosh, that's brilliant. Wow. And you, you said that you're due any day now. So that's quite exciting.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited this time. I have to say, like, I'm really looking forward. I feel like I'm looking forward to the birth. um, Because I feel much more in control this time. I feel, especially with it being at home, like doing away with that anxiety of like, you know, will will there be a room for me when I get to the hospital? Will there not be a room for me? If, if I do end up having to be transferred because of something going wrong, you know you're being transferred for a reason. You know there's going to be a room waiting for you. You know there's going to be, like, a team waiting for you. And I think just getting rid of that whole, I mean, what was essentially six hours of just stress and unnecessary um, in my last birth, um, knowing that we've kind of controlled for that in this one, I am just – genuinely looking forward to it um yeah which is a nice feeling
0: definitely a welcomed feeling so <laughs> it's nice to feel safe and supported in pregnancy and birth
1: <laughs> yeah why not
0: <laughs> gosh <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on the show today sophie i've enjoyed and empathized so much your story and journey so thank you for sharing especially so candidly i think a lot of women it will resonate deeply for a lot of women so no
1: thank you so much for having me yeah, I hope I haven't like, really overshared. It's like, as I can't see you, I feel no, like it's I'm just talking and talking and talking. But thank you so much for having me.
0: It's been brilliant. So thank you so much. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and hearing Sophie's journey and story. If you'd like to see more photos or read any more information, please head over to BritishBirthStories.com. See you next week. Ha, na, na, na. Ha, na, na, na. What else? Shusha. What about cuckoo? Cuckoo. <laughs> what about ski boots? <laughs> ski boots. <laughs> what about guacamole? Guacamole. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Watermelon. And watermelon too. Cheese quesadilla? Cheese quesadilla. Cutie.